Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach who works with managers, C-level executives, and business owners who want to become more mindful and self-aware of how they operate, whether that be through selling, managing, or running their own business. I believe for us to truly connect with those around us, whether they be our customers, colleagues, even friends or family, we need to truly understand ourselves first of all, understand what makes us tick, what makes us feel fulfilled in our life, and what do we really want. And this is one of the reasons why I started Not Another Sales Podcast, because too much is placed on the practicality and skill of doing something. Whilst that's important, I believe we should start with our mindset and behaviours. Start at the root, understand that, and grow it from there. This episode of Not Another Sales Podcast is brought to you by Mindful Talent, a global coaching organisation that trains aspiring coaches and innovative leaders. Their programs, The Trusted Coach and The Trusted Leader, are founded on the principles of mindfulness and developed in alignment with contemporary neuroscience, offering a globally recognised coaching qualification that is accredited by the Association for Coaching. Their online blended learning program has qualified hundreds of participants around the world, helping them to gain an edge in life and in business by increasing their emotional and social intelligence and their ability to connect with others. If you're interested in training with this incredible organization, which I would highly recommend, then you can visit their website and use my personalized URL code to gain 10% off any of their programs. www.mindfultalent.coach That's www.mindfultalent.coach and reference my code, not another sales. And now, on with the episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by Michael David Chapman sales leader, mentor, an individual who helps others break through and negotiate healthier life agreements and also helps people extend their reach on LinkedIn. And Michael and I are going to be talking all about managing mental health. Michael's going to start off by sharing what inspired him to start his LinkedIn series on this topic, how it has impacted his life so far, how organisations and businesses can start to support and address mental health within the workplace and advice for others going through it in terms of how they can start to cope, deal and talk about it with others around them and also what he's learned most about himself along the way. So sit back, grab a pen and pad and just listen. Michael, welcome. How are you? Good, Chris. How are you? Yeah. Thanks for having me again. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Good. good. And Michael, for those people that perhaps missed you featuring on the coaching series, it'd be great to start off with a bit of a, an overview in a, in a nutshell of who you are. Sure, sure. So um, pretty pretty clear on my, on my profile. Pr- primarily, you, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, but primarily where I spend most of my time growing my business is on the LinkedIn platform. You know, I'm a father of four. Uh, I'm a sales leader and mentor. I help people, you know, break through tough, tough places in their life, specifically working with men before they get to those places, if you will, is really, really what I want to do and had some success with that as well as I help people extend their reach and grow their business on, on the LinkedIn platform. Great. Great. And you mentioned there, a couple of points. And as I mentioned before, I first connected with you on LinkedIn, I think probably about six to nine months ago now. And what, what I really right. enjoyed about your content was that you were just very much 
authentically yourself in terms of it wasn't necessarily just it felt like it was coming quite natural in terms of it wasn't just creating content it was sometimes just documenting your thoughts what was going on and most recently this is what caught my attention was the the mini series you did on LinkedIn around and around mental health so I'm, I'm curious to know to start off with if you could tell me a bit more about what inspired that and for the listeners who haven't seen that what it was about sure um well two things come to mind I responded to a I responded to a comment on a post that I should have documented it uh, on somebody that it was, it was a post about depression Mm -hmm. and I am pretty sure it had something to do with men in depression. And right then I got a, you know, I've written about it. I've written so much about that in my own life privately and spent a lot of time working on it privately and now working on it, you know, with, with my kids in, in a sense, because I think kids, you know, there's a lot of kids at risk that uh, are, de- are depressed or are struggling with things. And maybe it's not considered mental health. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not a professional, but, but I am very curious. So the, the short answer, well, the long answer obviously is uh, I made a commitment on a post that I was going to do a series about it, series about it. Initially, I said I was going to do an article, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, it'd be more impactful. How could I get, you know, and each one of those videos, as you know, Chris was like, I, I totally got away with it. Like each one of those videos was like five minutes each. So I did 45, 50 minutes worth of content over, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was the first reason. The second reason was I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. I mean, I, I lived most of my life like that. Um, some of it was as, as my friend Bob Sager said today, on a, on a response to uh, Mark Metry did a, did a post about mental health. And he just said, you know, some of this is, it's not mental health. It's just figuring life out. But when you're figuring life out, you know, whether you're doing it on your own or you're doing it in a dysfunctional family, I mean, go down the list of things you're trying to figure life out and the environment you're living in. Okay. It can bring depression. You may not have mental health issues rooted deep. You may be trying to figure life out. Mm. but sometimes that can bring depression, which is just, you know, really a deep sadness or an ongoing deep sadness in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And what drew me to, to wanting to get more of a, an insight from you, because I love the series and I found it so beneficial. And, and as one mentioned, one of those comments is that despite all those engagement and comments, you've probably impacted many people that may not necessarily show that through a comment or a like, but have probably taken a little segment away and i'm guessing that's one of the reasons why you did that was just to impact those people and and maybe not necessarily change their life by just watching a video but get them to start thinking about things in a different way but well yeah yeah that that one there is interesting you know when we talk about you know any type of social media platform where you get to see results from your work yeah your posts call it metrics you know everybody i don't think there's a soul that doesn't appreciate their work being appreciated uh, the reality is we don't know who's reading it mm-hmm. unless they comment and, you know, and like it or whatnot. So when you see views go up on a topic like that, and then t- to give you direct, you know, I've, I've probably got hundred, I don't know, hundred something messages primarily from men and some women, but primarily men that just thank me for it because man, it's an embarrassing topic. I mean, it's not safe to talk about in the workplace. It's not safe to talk about at home. Uh, and I'm being very general, yeah, right. Which is the opposite of what I want to be. But the reality is it's not safe for men to show weakness still 
And I, I felt that after the second one that I did, I felt really more inspired on where to take it. And it kind of just went on from there. I, I did pull from some of my journals and what I had written during my second divorce, but really it was just insights I learned in my own healing. Yeah. And you mentioned there, it's, you know, it's still not acceptable for organizations and people to feel comfortable to talk about it at work. But what would you suggest for organizations or businesses, regardless of how big or small they are, in ways in which they can start supporting this or facilitating these kind of discussions? Well, I, you know, listen, I want to be real about it. You know, I've worked at companies, um, you know, I've not worked at, you know, at the highest levels of organization, but I've worked close enough to know what it means to work for a publicly held company. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about money and then I'll back into your question uh, answer to your question. You know, when, when you're, you know, running a company and you're accountable to people that invest in your company for performance, you know, I, I think, I think some people overgeneralize and, and generalize, I think, some of some of the challenges with how do you address it because the reality is check it out i mean mental health issues and i'll just talk about depression it affect it affects performance you know it affects if you have let's just say b plus players your directors and managers sale regional sales leaders who are accountable you know you take a regional sales leader right you're you and i are both from the sales background right mm-hmm. that is accountable every single day you know, away from their family for three days while they're in Chicago on a three-day trip, supporting field sales reps. They got to show up in the car and be a cheerleader after, you know, hundreds of no's and they have a new sales rep and they're selling commodities and the competition is absolutely crushing them. They took over a turnaround operation, team, whatever, and they've got depression going on. Let's, I mean, we just need to be real and honest. That's probably going to affect the performance of that team, specifically the leader leading that team. So I'm not sure what there's not. Number one, there's not a silver bullet. Not talking about it is not the answer. Because a lot of those same leaders, I think, and in my career, and I can only speak for my path, they were struggling with depression. They were dealing with it with, you know, prescription, you know, prescription drug abuse and alcohol and other fixes that that I think touch all of us at some point or, or try to. So I think the first step is to just be honest about the economics around it. And I, I gave you a very, what I would say, unsophisticated explanation of that. But the reality is they don't know how to address it. I, I, they don't, I, I think that's the first thing is to realize they don't know how to address it. It's not an HR issue. Mm-hmm. Does it touch HR? Is HR? Sure they are. But the problem is when you start talking about affecting performance and you start talking about affecting, and I'm just talking about from a publicly held perspective, you start talking about, I mean, I saw, I saw this generalization today. You know, there's, there, this is what I read. Uh, there's, there's all these companies that are, you know, giving lip service to mental health. They're using it as a buzzword. And I thought, you know what? I wanted to ask, have you ever even worked for a publicly held company? Do you have any idea of the pressure? And I'm not I'm not defending anybody. I'm just letting you know the, the brass tacks of it. That when, you, when you're accountable for responding to what your shareholders expect you to respond to in terms of performance, a lot of times, to be honest with you, Chris, the can just gets kicked down the road. Yeah. 
Now, to answer you directly, I, I don't have that. That's a reality. And that happens. I mean, I spent what a minute and a half explaining that at a very unsophisticated in a very unsophisticated way, but made my point. What is the answer? You know, I think for your more empathetic team leaders, senior leaders, CEOs, people that are really in it. Yes, they're accountable to somebody. They're accountable to the investor, but they they understand. They understand the short game in that game and the long game in that game, that the long game is about the people. And can they respond to every single mental health issue in the business? I, I don't think they can. I don't think that's realistic. But having a conversation starting with, you know, and I'll because because I am a man where it's safe to talk about amongst men, I think some great first start. Mm. Because I think the more that we we live in a digital space and, you know, this, I'm sure it's touched your life. It's real easy. I mean, there's more and more and more press and push and press and pull and press and pull to get into the digital space if you're going to compete. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you've been on Facebook for longer than 30 seconds in your life. You know what it is to look at everyone's curated perfect life. Well, it's no different than for people in a professional space. I mean, you know, so what am I saying? I think start be, being having a safe, open conversation with people that are have been through it. They're not medical professionals. They can partner with medical professionals and HR professionals and senior leaders to talk about prevention and specific things to make it safe to talk about. And then from there, I mean, I'm 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 not a you know I'm not a medical professional. Mm -hmm. You know, I did my entire walk through depression without medication. And I said in the series that, that people that I love the most and that love me the most would have probably benefited if I hadn't have been ignorant and afraid. But on the at the other on the other side of that, maybe I wouldn't have remembered half the stuff that I remember. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know ignorance isn't the answer. Silence isn't the answer. Fear is not the answer. And I think those are three big barriers. And if you can tear those down within your organization, you got a fighting chance to come up with workable you know, solutions and answers for your, for your team members who may be going through it. Yeah. And you mentioned there around particularly obviously putting it on the platform, such as LinkedIn, it's, it's having those open noise conversations, not necessarily going up to someone in your office and saying, look, here's what I'm going through, but it might be just sharing a post publicly. For example, I shared in a post study late, late last year around suffering, it used to suffer quite heavily with anxiety and I still do. And by doing that, just sharing it online and being a bit open and honest of how I've seen it and utilized it and seen it to serve me rather than sabotage me. I had three or four people within the business I worked in that were quite senior come up to me and go, I really enjoy reading your post. You know, this is what I'm feeling at the moment, or this is what I've been through, or this is what I'm thinking about. And it's just sort of, you know, lighting that touch paper to sort of be that change that you want to see within the business and doing it not necessarily in a direct way, but showing others that you're you're with them, you, you can empathize with them. And that it doesn't have to be a sort of formal sit down. It can be more of an informal way, which is how us men like to normally talk about things. Well, organizations, they're not equipped. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to speak for every organization, but most organizations are going to send you through a, you know, some type of, you know, employee help program, or they're going, they're, they're going to, you know, the companies that I've seen, you know, I've worked for a handful of companies in my career. They're going to, they're going to spend the money. They're going to be resourced financially to get you the help. You know, it's this has been around since the 90s and even before that, where 
people have problems with alcohol and they, you know, make you take a leave, maybe it's a paid leave and go deal with your alcoholism. And it would be paid for by the company. You know, that those programs still exist. But the, I, I don't know, man, to be honest, I don't I, I couldn't see the day where an organ just a, pri- a privately held organization is is would 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 take somebody let's just take me you know put me in a room with a couple of leaders who've gone through depression who're going through a divorce i mean i'm i'm in a position to talk about it but i don't have any acronyms next to my name mm-hmm. I, I, and i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that i'm not qualified to talk about my experiences with depression and divorce i am but i'm not a doctor i can't give a diagnosis i could give an opinion and I'd probably be close. I'd feel comfortable telling somebody what I think they're struggling with underneath all that. Hey, man, I really hear a lot of anger in your voice, Chris. But the minute I say that, right, the minute I say that I'm a vice president of something, something or whatever. I mean, I've just put the company name on that on that insight. I've just put the company name on the potential out potential outcome of how that person responds to what I've said. Mm. So. I'm not going to tell you that companies can't do anything. That's not, that's, that would be disingenuous. What I am telling you is, is let me say it like this. People that are using social media platforms to put companies down and trust me, there's plenty of companies that deserve to be put down. Bad leaders, bad managers. I mean, you don't have to scroll, but about seven posts in your feed to read some horror story of some bad man. I'm not talking about any of that. I agree with that. What I'm talking about is people that are using their voice to not promote safety and talking about it to not promote. And we're talking about men, right? Cause, cause women go through depression too. Right. But we're talking about men, people that use their voice to not promote a safe place to talk about it outside of the workplace. They're not helping anybody by sitting here saying that, Oh, you know, too many companies are doing this and doing that and doing this. And they're just creating white noise for people that are really going through mm. it. I don't think they're helping. Yeah. Yeah. And, and go- so yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I have, I have my own influence, right? We, we, I believe, you know, people talk about influencers all the live long day. I've said it for two years now, everybody's got influence. You don't need LinkedIn over here. You can go to your local grocery store and be an influencer. Okay. Everybody's got influence. I used my influence to the best I could to talk about how it affected my family and my kids. And I know, I know there are men that listen to that, that are struggling, thinking about walking away from their marriage. Maybe they should walk away from their marriage because somebody's going to get hurt and blah, 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 blah. Because all of mine, I really began to understand my depression on this side of this, my divorce. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> What I'm saying is, I know to your earlier point, people listened to that and got something out of it. If nothing else, they felt comfortable talking to somebody about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what companies need to do. I don't know how you do that, but that's how companies could address it. Like, you know, I'm not sure what that looks like to keep, you know, the attorneys happy, but but there's got to be something we can do. Mm. Mm. Well, it all starts with, you know, just the little things like that content and like you say, more people talking about it in a constructive way and rather than just identifying here's the problem is okay is just sometimes experience as you say sometimes it depends on the person but quite often someone would prefer to speak to someone who's been through it rather than someone who knows how to get them through it to the other side is that it depends in which stage they're in if they want someone to be empathetic and really understand and 
and make them feel like they're not alone, which is a lot of the time, which what we want initially, then that is beneficial to speak to someone that isn't necessarily qualified. But then it's okay as they move through that, it's then having that conversation with someone. If you have friends around you or family members or colleagues and saying, you know, at that point, this is where I feel like it would benefit you going to speak to someone else about it. I'm happy to share my experiences, but having that honest conversation when you feel like it's going beyond the realm in which you can you can move them forwards from that. Yeah, and, and the other thing I'd say about you know what can companies do? It really is, you know, you're going to find you're going to find with this kind of thing, the companies that are doing something about it. If they're doing anything about it, that it really starts at who and who and who and how they hire. Yeah, you know, and a leader, you know, a leader regardless of gender, who is empathetic, is just going to have this sense about somebody. They may not know what to say. They may not. They're not going to sit there and share, you know, about their life. But they're 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 going to know when somebody's struggling. And they may not sit there and do a nine part series about depression with them <laughs> over a cup of coffee. That's not the point, but to guide somebody to resources that the company sponsors or supports, or even, you know, take a chance and make a recommendation on something outside of work. I, I think, I think that's a, that's, that's a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what, what advice would you give having, having been through it yourself and encourage others to do who are working in this corporate environment who, feel whether it's being diagnosed or not that they're suffering with some yeah. mental health i mean i didn't share this i, I will i'll give you I, I didn't share this but you made me just reminded me this i was uh i met with a i met with a, a psychologist uh about two years ago to talk about something with one of my kids mm-hmm. and about after about 50 minutes we t- we talked about one of my one of my kids the entire time, which meant I did most of the talking, which is a shocker, right? <laughs> um, about fifty two minutes in, she looked at me and she said, "Have you ever been diagnosed?" She's talking to me now. Have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? And I was like, "No," but you know, when I was younger, I remember having conversations with medical professionals. I didn't, I couldn't speak until I was five. I had a speech impediment. Right. And, but, but I remember specific things that were talked about that probably are talked about now that otherwise maybe I would have gotten some kind of medication for Why do I bring that up? That was the first time anybody ever asked me that. Mm -hmm. Now by contrast, I bring that up in a personal way. By contrast, ask me how many times I heard the boy's mother say or infer I was depressed like and not just her or people say I think you're depressed I think you're depressed and I would just as kind of a shared I think it was in part five of the series I was just like you know I blew I blew I blew it off yeah you know I was you know I mean come on like leaders 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 aren't depressed come on leaders you know you know I was raising a family and supporting you know at that time a blended family come on the first thing I'd say is if you're hearing, I, I can say this about anything. Okay. Anger. I mean, this is a safe thing. I don't have to be a medical professional. I've always did this the whole time. I don't need to be a medical professional to say this. If you're hearing recurring 
themes, like common denominators in certain relationships, specifically ones on your inner circle around, hey, Chris, man, I I, I got to tell you, brother, I, I've listened to you for the last 15 minutes and I, you sound depressed. You're hearing that more more than once. That That's a time to, to go to somebody. And, and I'm not even saying go to a medical professional just yet. Maybe, maybe that, maybe you are, maybe, but like the person you're closest to, if you have that person say, Hey, what did you mean by that? Like I had to look at Chris, I had to look it up. I had to read what it was. Yeah. I looked it up. I didn't go, I didn't do hundreds of hours in WebMD and all that, but I mean, I got a basic understanding of depression is and said, Oh my gosh, that's me. So that's the first thing, because that'll go a long way to not wasting a lot of time. If you've got depression, I can say this from my perspective, it's probably not going to go away with circumstances. I'm not, well, let me say it differently. Oftentimes what I have found in the people in my life and specifically for me that trying to change, you know, trying to fix you depression or, or, or any root issue with circumstances is all tied to the circumstance. When the circumstances change, then the outcome is probably going to change. So it, it's time to face it once you've heard it a few times mm-hmm. and do it in a way that you feel safe, whether it's your pastor, your psychologist, maybe it's maybe it's a mentor at work. Maybe it's your spouse. I'm not sure. Everybody's different. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say, is once you've started to talk about it and you've gotten into it, you know, like I said in the in the in the series, man, I. I I don't know what I, I don't know where I would be. Well, you and I wouldn't know each other had I, had I not done the writing. Mm-hmm. The writing got me to LinkedIn. I'll tell you like that. And the LinkedIn got me to you, right? So I wrote and wrote. I'm right now I'm writing a book about it, not about just depression. I've, I've written two chapters of the manuscript. I took some time off because it's really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine, one of my mentors said, asked me, are you still writing? And I'm like, I was, you know, I didn't say it in shame, but I said, no, I took a break because I felt like, you know, cause I'm, I'm going into places that cause the depression yeah. in my, you know, in my upbringing and stuff like that. And that's fine, but it's really about, um, what, you know, it's really about discontent or really be, being a malcontent. Depression will be a part of it, but never being content, never being happy, never being happy. Depression's a part of it. But my point is learning to write about it. You know, somebody would ask me a few years ago, you're, you know, you know, you need to write about, I'm, one, I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. Cause my number one, my handwriting's terrible. That would have been the first barrier, but two, you know, I would have said, I'm not a writer. I found out I'm a writer. I can put my words down and express my thoughts with my own ears and mind and, and what I, you know, and, and, and speak it honestly from my heart. Yeah. So learning to write it because man, if you're dealing with depression and it's your ego, cause sometimes, sometimes, I mean, some of my depression, I didn't talk about this because I, I know, I just know it would have come off a certain way, but I'll do it now. Some of it was my ego, man. <laughs> some of it was just things that needed to die in my life that I just couldn't let go of. And my ego wouldn't let, that was keeping me depressed. That's a whole nother video right there. But learning to write about it really helped with that. And then finally, man, find somebody that will help you process it. And what I mean by that is, that's the third thing, all right? You know, common denominators, learning to write about it and find somebody. I'm not just saying go find a shrink or a therapist or anything like, anything like that. I'm not saying not do that, and I'm not saying to do that. 
I'm saying a great finding a great therapist is like finding a great date. <laughs> it totally is. And I found one that that I uh, counseled with during my during my second divorce, and after that, after the sep, you know the the boy's mother was done, and you know I stayed in it because I needed to know. I stayed in it for as long as I can afford it, and as long as she would do it. Because she was brilliant, and she knew she knew exactly what to ask me at the end of fifty-five minutes mm. to continue to help me see myself. And then I had great. That's when I had men around me. I had specific men around me that, um, all three of them, none of them were medical professionals. They were just people that God sent in my life because I prayed about it. I was like, please send me help. Man, I was I was on my face. I was crying. I was sad. I was pitiful. And he sent people in my life, three specific men that gave me specific things that I needed in that season. And I had a therapist on the side. Mm. <laughs> I'm not saying you got to do all that. I'm just telling you what I did. Yeah. yeah. And and finally, Michael, on that, what do you think you've learned most about yourself coming through this and even in the last few months or whenever, really? Well, that I really can take rejection because that was the biggest pain. I mean that I that I can't that I can take it. <laughs> I mean, I was so afraid to be rejected. And that's fair. I think everybody goes through that, but I was probably on the extreme that I did things to keep from doing that all it did was bring more of it. Number one. That really, when certain things die, I'll, I'll just, I, this is a whole different topic, you know, but, you know, when certain things die, specifically relationships, really what dies isn't the relationship. In some cases, in a lot of cases it is. But really what had to die in my situation was, you know, I talked about earlier was my ego. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I had reason. I had a reason. I had, I had done things and lived the kind of life and done things and been through things growing up without a dad and this kind of thing to be depressed about. I'm not trying to minimize what happened to me or what I did to me. What I am saying is at the end of the day for me, what I was holding on to the most was my pride and ego to protect these places that really were not at risk. They really weren't. Yeah. That I was a likable. Yeah. I was a likable person without anything liking myself and and really that that all of that trying and striving and all that nonsense, it just led to a lot of self-hate and learning to love myself on the other side of that. That's the journey now. Now that I can see it. I don't have. Do I have an ego? Sure, I do. do I, can I be depressed tomorrow? Sure, I can. I can see it coming, though. And usually it's tied to some kind of, you know. Low, you know, self-hate on one end or just low, low self-love for myself. Yeah. Letting somebody stay in my life or me stay in their life longer than I should or accepting some standard that I shouldn't accept or for myself, not even people, just myself, mm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with your point earlier as well about writing things down. We can look at things in a lot more logical sense like that and also start to realize that we're not just the character in our story. We're the storyteller. We're the narrator. We can look at things while they're happening and not necessarily will be consumed by them completely. Well, when they're BS, and it's not all bad. Like, I mean, it's not BS to say, you know, I was hurt when my dad didn't make it to my tennis matches. That's not BS. Yeah. All right, but when you're when you're when you're when you can process that at 
13 or 14, 15 when it's happening, which most kids don't or won't, that's one thing. But when you're still saying that at 35 subconsciously, subconsciously, I, mean, I never said that, but I behaved that way. Mm -hmm. There's a difference because that way of thinking was rooted early in my life. That's what I had to peel back and understand. Yeah. 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 Well, Michael, it's been a you know real pleasure. Thank you so much for your your openness, your stories, and, and your insights. It's, You're welcome. It's been a pleasure speaking welcome, to you brothers. again, as always. Yeah, it's a, it's an honor to be a part. I hope people get a lot out of it. Absolutely. And you mentioned the staff, people to be able to find you. Is there any particular tags on um, Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn to search you? Well, Instagram, it's at, at BizMinWorks, B-I-Z-M-I-N Works, W-O-R-K-S. Um, I do have uh, at the business minister at the Bizmen works um, on Facebook, but really LinkedIn the place. Great. LinkedIn. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again, Michael. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Another Sales Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Hey, people. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes and posts, you can find me on Instagram not another sales guy underscore in each of those words you can also find the podcast on all major platforms by typing not another sales podcast and also if you want to connect with me on linkedin i go by the name of chris hatfield so thanks again and stay tuned for another episode